Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forget the Box, Skills to Engaging Someone with Alzheimer's or Other Dementias. My name is Karen Tennyson. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and also a certified dementia practitioner. I've been working for MPAC for almost a year, and I am based out of the Symphony in Buffalo Grove. Um, becoming an LCSW is a result of being a full-time caregiver for my mother who had Alzheimer's disease. And after her death, my previous career just no longer resonated with me. So I became a certified nursing assistant while I was going to graduate school. And I worked in home health and also a supportive living community. And then more recently as an LCSW worked in hospice and at the Alzheimer's Association. So my objective for this session is to provide education, information, uh, some techniques and skills to improve your communication with people with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias so that it enables more meaningful and obviously clinically based encounters. It is up to us to find ways to ensure that the, our encounters are clinically viable while also meeting the CMS guidelines and exceeding the quality of similar services. Uh, we also must understand that expectations of standard clinical therapy clients don't always apply to people with Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia. For example, in a standard psychotherapy setting, we would be looking at uh, evaluating continuation of services based on ongoing and consistent improvement, whereas with patients with dementia, they may not be able to retain uh, new skills and information, which could result uh, in meeting that evaluative expectation. So consequently, we will be looking toward um, and for other things, such as a reduction in behaviors or increased participation and engagement in the moment. Um, these in-the-moment improvements can often lead to more consistently appropriate behaviors and, more importantly, to patients um, being more comfortable, less anxious, feeling safer in that ever-changing and unfamiliar environment of dementia. Believing that people with dementia continue to deserve and benefit from our services um, very early on in my tenure, I researched the CMS website and found two alternative evidence-based uh, interventions they recognize. And in practice, I have found that my patients with dementia respond very well to these approaches. The first one is therapeutic engagement. And it's a treatment for uh, people with dementia who, uh, which helps them maintain optimal cognitive as well as psychosocial health by creating an opportunity for connection that activates whatever retained abilities and interests they have. Uh, there are several things that we need to be aware of when we're utilizing this intervention. Uh, the first is, and this is per the CMS definition, um, activities refer to any endeavor other than routine ADLs, so they're activities of daily living, in which a resident participates that is intended to enhance the sense of well-being and to promote or enhance physical, cognitive, and emotional health. So we need to make that distinction as we're utilizing uh, therapeutic engagement. And the second thing to be aware of is that we want to make the distinction, as, as CMS does, between engagement and entertainment. And the way that they define it 
uh, it's a productive activity that creates the opportunity for brain exercise, regardless of ability level versus entertainment that creates a passive response in some or all participants. So an example of that would be, say, doing movie trivia versus watching a movie. Uh, movie trivia is going to engage and can engage all different kinds of things, all of the senses, as well as memory and other brain-related functions, whereas watching a movie is very passive. So this intervention also has several tenets to meet evidence-based best practices. Um, and the principles, uh, and I'll provide examples of these in just a minute, but there are four different things that we should be looking for when we're kind of planning out sessions of therapeutic engagement. One, it being adaptive. So we want to obviously make sure that there is success for folks who are at all different levels of ability. Um, this is a very fluid process as someone is progressing through dementia. Repetitive, so that um, there's some, again, created success through familiarity of a routine. Uh, the third thing would be multisensory, again, utilizing senses as well as different brain functions when possible. And the fourth would be maintaining the person's dignity. So um, it being a uh, success that is person-centered and appropriate. So knowing your patients, what their interests are, what their likes and dislikes are, what might spark their creativity or their um, in engagement and partic participation should obviously be considered. Strategies for therapeutic engagement, uh, assessment, we're going to be looking at cognitive functional preferences for current and, and past. Um, as well as present interests so that we can find an ability level uh, and make that determination of where the person is at. Uh, types of sessions, they can be social, they can be intellectual, they can be sensory, uh, spiritual, cultural, they can be physical. So, you know, exercise based on the person's ability. Um, again, I'll give some examples in a minute. Uh, and you're wanting to create a familiar and reliable routine so that person kind of has an idea, a sense of what's, uh, what's coming. Uh, again, adapting for their abilities is very important. Um, why you should have goals for the session. Um, they may be kind of segmented into to tasks so that it's um, divided more easily um, able to follow instructions. Those are simplified. Um, again, utilizing the skills and the retained abilities that the person has so that they can continue to practice those. Um, and again, this needs to be a very fluid process for, for you as well as for the patient because things are ever-changing. Uh, and an engagement plan. So um, something that's outcome-based. Um, and that doesn't mean, um, you know, it, it really truly is about with folks with dementia about the journey and, and uh, you know, not the destination. So, but we want to make sure that there is some type of outcome so that we can, again, have an evaluative tool um, to utilize um, against uh, the goals of what the session was. Uh, so some examples would be, um, I do have a patient who happens to be an international champion bridge player. Um, and so that was 
obviously a major part of his life. So it's something that we use in session, not all the time, um, but very, very often. Um, so it becomes adaptive because it's flexible to where he's at, which sometimes changes from session to session. And certainly I've been seeing him for long enough that, has, you know, his abilities, his cognitive abilities and memory skills have uh, declined. Uh, it is repetitive. Um, I ask similar questions every time that we play. Um, so I am, again, setting him up for some um, success because I know that these are things that he does still remember. Uh, and we tend to play the same day of the week and at the same time. Um, and from a sensory standpoint, the multi-sensory standpoint, obviously he's teaching me, he's organizing things, um, dealing the cards, he's talking with me because he's uh, sharing what he knows. And he's also watching me to see if I'm learning things. So there's a lot of different um, things going on there. And obviously it maintains his dignity because I'm allowing him, I'm following his lead, I'm allowing him to lead the session to a certain extent. Um, and obviously I have no expectations of what this is or how it goes. Um, I have learned some aspects of bridge. Um, I don't know that I could walk into a tournament and play but that really isn't the point. Um, this is something that makes him feel confident. It gives him a sense of purpose and he really does love the game. So he loves to share it. Um, and as far as assessment, uh, I'm going, I want to make sure that he's not frustrated, that he doesn't become frustrated, um, that the sessions do have a combination of things going on. So there's some social aspects, obviously there are intellectual aspects and sensory things going on. Um, and I do guide him um, when it's necessary um, so that we can adapt for how his abilities are changing. And it really is, our goal is for him to teach me, which he is doing. Another thing that I've done um, with folks in the past is organizing things, whether it's closets or drawers. Um, you know, they may need some physical help, so I have to adapt for that. They may need some direction or they may need a combination of both. Um, you know, I will do this maybe over a period of several sessions so that there is some repetition there. Um, and again, it's multi-sensory. They're using decision-making. There's a sense of control. Um, they're maybe feeling the items. They're maybe thinking about when they bought it, when they wore it, um, how it was made. Um, you know, we're also sorting things. Um, maybe we'll, you know, we'll decide to do things by color or by season. Um, and we're also um, remembering about those items, those specific items, maybe who gave it to them or where they bought it. Um, and obviously for dignity purposes, um, the patient again has a lot of input in directing the process. I would redirect or make suggestions as needed, um, but they're really in control of that. Um, and something physical that I do with folks is chair dancing. Um, it's obviously adaptive to the person's physical abilities. Um, we may play, say, the same song um, at the beginning and, uh, of a session and do a little bit of, of that activity and then end the session with that and using the same song, doing the same movements, um, you know, uh, to create some repetition and some success in that. Uh, aspect. Obviously, 
any kind of physical activity like this, you want to be very aware, check with the nurse, um, or if they have a PT that they're involved with, that kind of thing to make sure that it's something that, you know, you're, you're doing that's going to be comfortable for them. Um, multi-sensory, there's physical activity, obviously, and it's rhythmic and creates a sense of, you know, rhythmic movement. Um, and it's fun. It can be very creative. You can get kind of silly with it. And then with the music element, there's obviously sound. Um, there's touch sometimes because sometimes we kind of hold hands and swing. Um, and then there's also sight because we're watching each other do that. Um, from a dignity aspect, uh, the patient would pick the type of music. They might be um, the one that sort of chooses the dance steps so to speak. So they can have a lot of control um, in that process. Uh, the other intervention um, that I've found been very successful is called validation therapy. Uh, it was developed in the 60s and 70s by a social worker named Naomi Fell. Uh, it is a method of therapeutic communication, which can be used to connect with someone who has moderate to late stage dementia. And it really places emphasis on the emotional aspect of the conversation and less on the, the, the functional, or I'm sorry, the factual content, um, which imparts uh, respect to the person, what they're feeling, and what their beliefs are. Uh, if you think of uh, some of our folks with dementia who maybe are very tangential speakers um, because of the effects of their dementia, or maybe they're speaking a lot of word salad. Um, this is very applicable to those folks because, again, it's about the journey and not the destination. Um, you're using a lot of active listening, and you're taking that a step further, um, and they have found that it often prevents agitated behaviors, outbursts, um, because people have a sense that they're being heard and they're being listened to and their feelings are being validated rather than being constantly told that they're, they're not um, correct or that behavior is just being halted without any further investigation of actually why it's happening. Um, validation therapy, it's probably going to require you to agree with some things that may not be true or real. But those statements are not hallucinations or delusions. Someone with dementia, oftentimes they truly believe, and it's very valid to that person. Um, it may be <clears throat> a past memory that is still there that they think is happening in the present, but it's really due to their disease and the progression of dementia um, so it really harkens back to that number one rule that we learned probably the first day uh, of our uh, graduate program was to go where the patient is, to meet them where they are. And it's also the number one rule of communicating with someone with dementia. Don't argue. Um, explore what they're talking about with you. Um, it can really determine a lot of underlying reasons for behavior um, and uh, the words that are spoken may not go directly to what the actuality is, but it really can reveal a lot of things um, and remembering that it's true for the patient, uh, whatever they're trying to, to tell you and express to you. Validation therapy also provides patients with a means of expression 
And that can be verbal or nonverbal or both. So this isn't necessarily about, again, what is being verbalized. It can be about things that you observe and the nonverbal aspects of that patient's communication. And it really does center on the patient's needs rather than attempting, as I said before, to halt them or to ignore things that might be illogical or irrational behavior. These behaviors may be due to unfinished or unresolved past struggles. It could be something that's going on currently. Um, and it, again, someone with dementia, those types of issues can be taking a different form for them because their brain is not processing that information as uh, you or I might do. So we have to just keep that in mind. And um, to help with resolution, you know, we're going to actively listen, obviously, with empathy, and we're going to respect and enforce the, the person's value so that you're taking what they say, whatever that may be, and confirming that for them. Um, as clinicians, you know, we're presented with um, being present and accepting without asking why. Uh, I, I always use the example of imagine if you were someone with dementia and all day, every day, somebody was telling you that you were wrong. Wouldn't you be agitated? Wouldn't you be angry? Wouldn't you be uncooperative? So kind of keeping that in the back of your mind as you're communicating with folks with dementia can be really helpful. Um, again, there's some strategies for uh, validation therapy, being prepared to listen empathetically, which is something that social workers inherently do, being in the moment, going to where they take you, uh, maintaining constant eye contact, being interested, using body language that indicates that you're interested in what they're saying to you, don't argue with them, uh, use clear, low, and loving tone with a non-threatening factual word. So it's not that you have to repeat what may not be true um, to the patient. Focus on concrete questions of who, what, where, when, and how. So you can still be very factual and very direct with them, but you're not questioning what they're saying to you. You're questioning to go further into what they're trying to express to you. Know your patient's likes, dislikes, and interests. It can be very useful in utilizing validation therapy um, to continue and forward the conversation with folks. So some examples, um, as we said, active listening without judgment, correction, redirection, but using affirming verbal and body language, nodding, leaning in, eye contact, uh, again, asking questions to gain further detail and insight into the patient, uh, what they're talking about to you. Um, there really is no wrong scenario in this. Um, for those that allow and enjoy physical contact, um, sometimes calming someone uh, by brushing their hair, giving them a hand massage as they talk to you, um, those kinds of things can be, you know, very helpful in calming someone. If, again, if that's something that person is comfortable with, we just have to remember that it should not be <clears throat> providing um, activities of daily living. So uh, we just have to be aware of that. As I said, utilizing music can be very um, helpful in continuing conversation, helping people express themselves. Um, it can spark 
conversation, and it can also give voice to people's feelings. Um, so I, I hope that this information was helpful to you and that it will bring you and your patients some more meaningful interactions. Um, I do encourage you to explore this further. This was just certainly kind of skimming the surface of information that's out there and available to us about this particular topic. So going to the Alzheimer's Association website, which is alz.org, um, if you maneuver through the website, um, there are some great um, pieces there of information um, for caregivers in particular that we can adapt uh, to things for ideas for us to use during uh, sessions. Also, um, probably a lot of you have heard of Tipa Snow. She is a wonderful woman who has developed um, over, I think, 30 or 40 years of working with folks with dementia, some wonderful programs. Uh, and that's just TEPA, T-E-E-P-A-S-N-O-W.com. Uh, the CMS website, so cms.gov, they do have uh, links to some studies and other information. Uh, specifically for validation therapy, it's V as in Victor, F as in Frank, validation.org. Uh, you can utilize that site for some more detail and information. And also another, uh, some therapy that I did not go into, but that I have found is very useful um, is Montessori-based um, methods of interventions for folks with dementia. So there are some other places that you can explore. Um, and please don't hesitate to contact me directly. Um, I would uh, certainly welcome any questions or concerns that you have. Um, this is a topic that I'm very passionate about, so I'm always up for a discussion. So please don't hesitate to get in touch. And I truly thank you for listening.